Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Before we get into the show, I do want to thank AKG for sending us their amazing Podcaster Essential Package. It's got a Lyra mic and the most comfortable set of headphones I have ever used. Now, Keith Kenny is a one-man band, but not the kind with an accordion and cymbals on his knees. He does use the suitcase as a drum, but more on that later on in the show. He's known for his multiple, extended, and varied sets. I mean, how many people do you know who can pull off a one-man acoustic-based tool medley? His new album, Lifetime Ago Motel, is out after a six-month delay, but it's well worth the wait. And follow him on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Merch is available at performanceanx.threadless.com and it was designed by Mark Dancy who did Soundgarden's Bad Motor Fingers artwork. Rate and review us, please. It does help. And now let's catch up with Keith Kenny on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Keith Kenny and I got a new record coming out called Lifetime Ago Motel on April 2nd and you can check that out at keithkenny.com but right now you're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. All right, first takes a charm. <laughs> How you doing? Let me see. Oh, you're muted. Anything? Yep, there we go. You can hear me? Oh, yeah. I can't hear you at all oh. for some reason. <laughs> oh. Let me make sure I'm not muted. Testing, testing. I've got no audio from you on my end, but this is also my first time using this, uh, <laughs> this way. So, Oh, man. Um, let's... Wow. Uh... I heard it ring. I would give you advice, but you can't hear it. Can you hear me? Just put the headphones off. See if I can hear you. Testing. Can you hear me? Nope. Yeah, I got video, no audio. That's so weird. Uh, you want me to just, you want to just try recalling? I'll hang up. Check, check. Hello, can you hear me? I got no audio. Ah, damn. Damn. Oh, gosh. I am not a tech-savvy guy. Oh, wait, hold on. Is you, are you coming through my mixer? <laughs> oh, you're coming through my mixer. Ah. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. All right, we're good. Awesome. <laughs> All right, sorry. Oh, no problem, thanks, man. Thanks for being my guinea pig on uh, Skype, how to, figuring out how the Skype uh, routes shit. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
cool. <laughs> hey, nice to meet you, man. You too. <laughs> it was, uh, I could hear you just fine, so it's kind of funny. I'm okay, sitting there going, cool. maybe you should try this. I'm like, well, you can't hear me. What the hell yeah, am I, I offering your you. advice? Yep. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me? Perfect. All right. So thank you for joining me. I've really enjoyed going back and listening to your stuff, man. It's really cool thank stuff. Thank, thank you for listening to it. Uh, it's not, uh, not everybody does. Uh, see, and that's what's, <laughs> that's terrible. I, I, I hate that. The way I've, and I've mentioned this on the show a few times and, and I try to let everybody know that I, I if you guys are going to spend as much time as you are with me on the podcast, the least I can do is actually study and, and, and get to know the work and, and the person I'm having on. So, well, I respect that. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Not everything has to go chronologically in these episodes, but it usually starts out with how you got into music in the first place. You know, were, was there a lot of music in the house when you were growing up or uh, were you the black sheep by getting into music? What what really started that that love of music for you? So um, listening to music wasn't so much the big thing around my house when I was growing up. But my dad did have an acoustic guitar and he picked up playing when he was like 26 so like right around when i was born he okay. started playing so um he would just come home from a day's work and strum a few chords and he would improvise lyrics and play like a, a quarter of a neil young song or something <laughs> like that um nice. but he had like a lot of passion and definitely like a natural talent for just coming up with stuff on the spot and um so i was definitely around seeing an instrument being played okay um, but it wasn't like a house that was like you know vinyl was spinning all the time or or anything like that uh, actually most of my introduction to music was probably just from watching my dad play oh wow yeah so were you interested early on in, in learning how to play as well or did that come later not really uh when i he was trying to kind of coax me into it when I was probably like eight, nine, you know, he started kind of putting out, I was just, I, I didn't have the bug yet at all. I, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen like Wayne's world two yet, which was, <laughs> which was actually a really important moment for me as a, as a musician. Really? Because, um, it made it real, like seeing Aerosmith come on stage and sing shut up and dance or you know yeah. lip sync shut up and dance yeah. in front of the wayne stock was like yeah. that was a big deal to me because <laughs> i was i was at that impressionable age of like 10 11 years old and oh, it's like what the hell is this stuff this looks like amazing <laughs> i still have that soundtrack yeah it's, i mean all, it's in the, i've got like four thousand cds in boxes behind me and it's in yeah. there somewhere yeah I mean, they, they are actually, um, I think there's been like write-ups and, and just discussions about how Wayne's world did actually, you know, they brought a new life to Bohemian Rhapsody when, yep. it, but you know, because it, it was introducing it to a new younger generation and that was, that was me. Yeah. And that song so, really was out of the public conscience, 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 whatever it was out of the public eye yeah by that time it had run its course and now you can't escape it for better or for worse definitely i mean there was like a resurgence of that kind of uh 
rock yeah. culture from those movies. So that was one thing. And, and, um, I mean, this was, I was 10 and it was 94. So green day dookie was the biggest <laughs> thing out. Right. Yep. And, uh, these were influential things in my life. And, and when I saw that my dad played acoustic guitar, it wasn't all that interesting to me, but there was uh, rumors that we had an electric guitar in the family, but it was at my uncle's house and it had just been living there for a while. <laughs> so on my 11th birthday that showed up and it was just this cheap, um, Japanese Hondo two, like, a kind of like a Fender Strat, uh, knockoff. Okay. And, and I remember my 11th birthday, I had like a sleepover party and, and, uh, my buddies were over and this guitar showed up and I just remember not being able to take my fingers off the thing. I was just really interested in how I gravitated towards it. Oh, that's awesome. And so that kind of started the whole being obsessed with playing thing. Wow. So when did you start playing? And I guess maybe since you're right now, a, a you're a one man band and not the kind that I think of because i think of that dude on the uh, hormel pepperoni commercials with the uh, <laughs> the accordion and the cymbals on his knees <laughs> right right and a drum on his back put it on a pizza yum a nacho yum put it on anything for pepperoni Ooh, i want to eat it up eat it up got to get me some hormel pepperoni That's not what you do at all. I found out. Right, but right. That did you did you start playing in bands or were you just a a one man show from the beginning? No, I was always interested in having at least a trio. Okay. At the minimum. Um, but now, even where I'm at now, I would love to have like a proper four piece band because, in my opinion, like it's the best uh it's the best there is like all my favorite bands are four pieces it's usually like one is one person is dedicated to their instrument so you know just drums bass guitar vocals or that's one of my favorite lineups like like tool or yeah. metallica um some of that you know heavier stuff but like zeppelin you know is a perfect four piece to me like the band the the word band you know four letters four, four letters. guys like it's it's everything four like four is the magic number ah it's awesome uh, but it, i mean i i i always had a trio kind of thing when i was coming up so i played with my buddies uh tyler kiera who goes under big bullying's acid rainbow right now oh cool and uh he's a badass drummer but um as we were coming up you know we, we i think we we're both kind of creative super kind of creative like direction kind of wanted things to go in the direction we wanted and i think we were just kind of going opposite directions at that time like we right. were 20 20 21 or whatever so it just didn't work out at the time but uh our musical friendship is still there oh, that's but um yeah. Uh, but you know, it's like, it just always seemed like the band fell apart or it fizzled out or, you know, one guy got a girlfriend or, you know, That's some a... guy could never make it to practice <laughs> or like, every some story. guy never had any money. Cause yeah. you know, so he wouldn't buy anything for the, you know, and then you find out you're like, man, I'm, I'm just running this whole fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, you know what? I want to just, I really want to do this as a career. So how can I do that? And, and relying on a band at the time just, just didn't seem feasible. So I just kind of, I kind of 
went towards the gravitated towards the one man band thing out of necessity and okay. um also had some major influences that came through in my later like you know the 16 17 that were definitely shaping the desire to be more of like a troubadour you know oh, really like like who well i mean neil young is always just a force of nature everyone oh, yeah. everyone knows that but yeah. um Michael Hedges is one of the more underground, yes. uh, not as well known technical fucking guitar finger style guru. Insane player. Right. And um, it's actually in my high school, there was a substitute teacher who, instead of doing the lesson plan, was showing a video of Michael Hedges to the students. Oh, wow. And I didn't even have him as the as like i didn't even get to see it in class but i was getting a ride home from my friend and he said you got to check this guy out and it was the, the days of napster yeah okay. and i downloaded ragamuffin by michael hedges oh. illegally yep <laughs> which i feel horrible about because michael was not a, like a well-renowned artist like well-known but yeah. um he could have probably used the money uh, he had already unfortunately passed away at the time but um yeah. but i did download it and it was completely mind-blowing that that guitar was making that that sound oh and, and that became the obsession of like learning that style learning that technique so when you play you're not you're not the typical troubadour kind of guy just sitting on a stool just playing the guitar even like a lot of the percussive guitar players where they're playing a guitar and you know slapping the, the body for different percussive sounds you do do some of that but you're also playing a suitcase right so how did that come about because that to me is just it, it's incredibly inventive oh thank you but i don't know i feel like it's a little bit of a cop off of of like stuff that's been out there really um, well there's always i saw um this i I've seen like all kinds of guys are using these kickboards and stomp boxes now and all that stuff. Oh, it's okay. just kind of like a percussion with the foot. And it, it really kind of like, it goes all the way back to John Lee Hooker, just like hearing on his recordings, the tap of the foot while yeah. he's playing. Right. You know, mm -hmm. like this kind of, um, this like natural foot rhythm has always kind of been there. It's, it's been deep in the blues. Oh yeah. And, yeah. um, so that's kind of been evolved into like guys putting little pickups on the pieces of plywood and they'll run that through a PA system with a ton, ton of low and it gives it that kind of kick. Ah, thing. okay. And so I was messing around with those like stomp boards and, um, and then I, I like kind of magically this, big red suitcase shows up at my <laughs> studio one day because I, I had been making like pedal boards that fit into suitcases. And I just loved, I loved like, I don't know. I, I had that OCD kind of gear techie weird thing where I loved like fits things in boxes right. with foam around it. And it just feels like it feels really good. I've got, so, I've got one of that, that, that I, I grabbed from work so I can put my, my uh, little mixing board in it. Cause I used to do a sports podcast and we'd go on location and I never got around to doing it. And then I had to give the old board back and I bought my own one and I haven't done an on location thing in two years. And so right. now it's just sitting in my garage. Just yeah. Now you got space. it all set up and ready to go. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's all just taking up space now. Exactly. Uh. But like my, my mother's friend had this big red suitcase in her attic somewhere. And she, I guess she heard that I was using these suitcases and it just showed up in my studio one day and I got home from work, I think. And <laughs> there it was. I'm like, that, that is perfect. So 
I went through years of like messing with it and it sounded horrible for a while because I, I was micing it in the wrong spot and the sound guys would be like, you gotta put the mic here and like, don't use a suitcase. I'm like, I gotta get this thing right. And eventually like I, I did, I found the sweet spot and then I, w- I was starting to get compliments from the sound the guys. Like, of the I like, I like, I like my, uh, that mic'd up better than a kick drum because I got more control over it. Like I've, I've heard guys wow. say, so it's pretty cool. Like through a big, through a big PA system, it, it really works well. If it's, yeah. if you're like stuck in the corner of a bar somewhere and you just got some like shitty overheads, so you're, you're, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. you ever experimented with other suitcases? Yeah. I mean, I had a few of them before that magical big red one showed up. It's the American tourister, like the seventies <laughs> style. <laughs> I have like four or five of them now. I was going to ask if you had backups or, or if that one goes. Yeah, I got screwed? backups now. Yeah. My, my whole rig, like I have sections of my rig and all of it fits in the red suitcase. <laughs> so, so does the suitcase transport your stuff and then become the kick? Yes. Or does it, Wow. That's yeah. amazing. It's, so that's the beauty. That's that's what makes me feel like happy. You know, that gives me fulfillment for some strange reason. It is earning its keep. Yeah. So I've been watching some of the live shows. I mean, I've been I, got, I went back and listened to the albums, but I also have been watching some of the live videos on YouTube, and oh, cool. they're crazy, man. I, you like I said before, you're just not what I expect when I hear one man band. There's so much energy when you play. There's definitely some negative connotations to one man band, I yeah. think for, for many reasons. Yeah. And then, um, but I, I was inspired by a lot of really energetic, like one, one man band performers, like Keller Williams. I saw him. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but yeah. I saw him in like 2001 or two. And, and he was really just starting to skyrocket as far as like getting a following. Yeah. I went on a whim. I didn't know anything about him other than some guy at Guitar Center turned me on to him, gave me his CD and said, you should go check him out. And I went and I went by myself and I was just blown away because it was it was like everything I wanted in the live show. It was like the energy, you know, running around on stage, yeah. making all these sounds, all different kinds of instruments. And um, that was a huge, huge influence in making kind of turning my show into something that, you know. One of the other things that I liked about your show, and, and part of the energy, is uh, you're, you're playing your original stuff. You're playing some really interesting covers, and in between it all, you've got great stories. And I think that's like an, an, an undervalued part of being up there on your own. You know, if if you're in a band, something happens, you go and you can talk to the drummer for a minute. And, you know, right. <laughs> You know, you don't have to engage the audience, really. You know, the guitars can go do a, a, a you know, an extra long guitar solo while the, the drummer replaces a snare head or something. Yeah. Or vice versa. Drum solo. So because the guitar broke a string. But you can't do that. You got to engage with the with the audience. If you just sit there quiet for five minutes while you're restringing the, something on your guitar, people are going to lose interest. And so, yeah, that is a, a, to me, almost as, as important as the music itself is the interaction with the audience. And you do an incredible job because it doesn't all sound like it's canned stories. Um, I, you know what my biggest fear is, is dead air. Ah. And it, it happens to me a lot because I use like uh, different tunings mm-hmm. on guitars and stuff. And they're, oh, I mean, it's acoustic guitars. They're always out of tune. Yeah. You know, so I'm constantly having a tune. Um, and and you're playing pretty rough, too. I mean, you're not like, right. you know, you, you're yeah, pretty, no. you beat those strings up pretty good. 
I know it's not good for the guitars. They're <laughs> they're in rough shape right now. Um, but uh, you know, and then like I'll have a fucking hi hat pedal break <laughs> or something, you know. And and it's it's terrifying to just think that you're up there and there's just dead air. You know, it's like the radio host's yep. biggest enemy too. So I think. I'm still working on trying to be better with the stories and stuff. Like I look up to guys like Leo Kotke. Yeah. Like he doesn't even need to play a damn song. He could just talk for two hours and people <laughs> love it. Yeah. That's amazing. It's an amazing skill. So th there's a part of me that would love to just do a set with perfect transitions that would never require any stories or any talking. Right. And there's the other part of me that would just love to be so goddamn charismatic that <laughs> The stories in between your songs are, or they're looking forward to that more, right? In some way, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, you you you're doing a great job of it from the the shows that I've listened to. There's one where you, you do two sets, and I, I I watched as much of that as as I was able to today at work. <laughs> so you you saw a video that was two sets long? Yeah, it's you were um crap. Where the hell was it? Um, you did a. I'm trying to remember where the hell it was. It was, it was, was it the Saint? Or no, no, it was uh, the place in New Hope. Oh, John and Peters? Yeah. There's a, it's like almost a three hour long video on YouTube. Holy shit. I have never seen this. Oh, dude, it's great. I'll, I'll see huh. if I can shoot you a link. It's, uh, <laughs> I'll shoot you a link to your stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, and then the, both of the sets are completely different. So it's, right. it's really fantastic. But, oh, thanks for watching it. Oh, absolutely, man. And, but in <laughs> Just between, to know that it exists is cool. It, and it's, it, the, the sound is good on it and the video is good. So it's, it's, uh, but it's cool because in between you're talking to people, uh, they're, you know, you're interacting with them. It's, there's uh two people have a birthday on, on the, the one show that I, so huh. you, you have like, you're wishing one person happy birthday and then it's like, oh, it's my birthday too. And so you, <laughs> you've got this whole interaction going and, and I, oh, nice. I love that. But well, I will say that that venue is a special place. Yeah. And um, it definitely, it it has that kind of reciprocating vibe to it. I'm going to, I have family close to that area. I'm going to have to go next time we can get up there because I live in Virginia now. So, yeah. But uh, on your recommendation, I am going to have to go there. And I'll, yeah. When stuff opens up again. All right. So I was going to ask this question, but since we brought that up, I was going to ask this a little later. Are you able to play out at this point or are you doing any live streams or what are you doing to, to keep your live chops going? Yeah. So when it first all started, I, I was live streaming like crazy as most like a ton of musicians were. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, once it got to about that three month mark, when it, it got a little nicer out and I think people were also a bit crispy on the whole live stream thing. They had seen <laughs> yeah. enough live streams for, for three probably, pandemics. Right. So I kind of slowed it down. I've been doing them. I've been trying to do them about once a month. Um, yeah. So I've been doing that. And then here and there, there'll be like an opportunity for a show, but that was mostly over the summer. The last one I had was an outdoor thing in November. Um, and you know, that was, that was nice Yeah. because it was outdoors, you know, so you could have the social distancing and, um, some safety precautions. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's tough cause, um, there's not a whole lot of opportunity out there. Well, you do some really wild covers that, Again, being up there on your own with 
technically an acoustic guitar, I'd never, if, if that's the description that somebody gave me, I would never expect, you know, a couple of tool covers, some Metallica. songs is just incredible what kind of gear are you using live because you're getting loops and and i think one of the things that people have to remember is that since you're up there on your own you don't just bust into a tool song or you've got to kind of build it up to get that backing track going right right so um my basic rig is is the acoustic guitar is it, it starts with the pickups so the um there's a pickup in the sound hole, which is like a magnetic pickup. It's called a sunrise. Okay. It's pretty popular um, amongst um, like professional musicians as far as like that pickup goes. But it's a magnetic pickup, so it, it does have some qualities where you can get electric sounding tones out of it. And you can run it through lots of different kinds of effects like distortion and yeah. delay and and reverbs and stuff and, and it'll be fine you won't get that nasty feedback and then the other pickup system is the amulet by trance audio which is under the bridge oh okay and, and that is more of like a natural real acoustic guitar pickup that can pick up the sound of the body um also the percussive stuff oh okay okay and so what happens is th those signals go and they split up so one will go through a bunch of gnarly effects distortions and wah-wah and whammy and shit and get all fucked up yeah. the other one stays relatively clean it just goes through some nice reverb and maybe a little like sub octave stuff so it gets like the low end and then all that stuff runs into a loop pedal and uh, the loop pedal allows all that stuff to you know you you hit uh, record you hit play and it'll just keep looping and you could put as many layers on top of that as you want wow and then um it kind of gives you as like a solo artist it gives you a lot of room for creativity and blending different sounds together because you got the pedals to kind of you know say oh well you know it's just an acoustic guitar but now it kind of sounds like a I don't know, like a <laughs> like a synth organ or something, yeah. just because of the amount of effects it's going through. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. Because you do do some of those really wild effects on some of your own stuff too. Yeah, um, I, I got you know, just like slowly, you just kind of slowly build up to it, like one effect at a time, and they, uh, they eventually you're like, I need that on the board now. I, like it can never leave; it must always be there. <laughs> <laughs> you get kind of dependent on it, which is a little scary at times because. There's always technical malfunctions, cables, and just pedals will, like you know, they'll they'll stop selling certain pedals because they just they didn't sell enough or whatever, and that, yeah. now you're stuck with this box that you love that you can can only find on eBay now to boutique <laughs> for four fifty or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Like I can't afford that, man. Come on. Oh no, that's that's the problem. I've, I've God, I'm trying to remember which band it was. Maybe it may have been L ten eleven or because they do a lot of effects too, and they're. I think it was them. They were talking about how they basically just use like mainstream effects because if something breaks, you can just go to your local music store and get it. You know, if you get, right. if you have a boutique pedal and you're in Topeka, 
Yeah. And that's, that's a main part of your sound, then you, you know, you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, I could see why people just use boss pedals, just straight up. They'll always be there. I mean, the power yeah. sources are all the, pretty much the same. Exactly. You're, you're good, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I really like the tool covers. And I've, I hear how maybe some of that heavier music has crept into some of your music, even from the beginning. You do a really good Keenan, man. You're, you're especially the, like the non-shouty Maynard James, you know, when, the more cleaner vocals. Are, yeah. It's, you do a really good, good cover I, of him. I appreciate that, man. I mean, obviously like uh people love his voice so much that i was uh, intimidated to like take it on but it was i was young and i just was like ah fuck it you know i love this song i want to just sing it and yeah. do my best and but yeah i i admire his ability to get to that shouty stage i would love to be able to get there with my <laughs> voice one day i just don't have it like my my voice is kind of built for like a more of a clean kind of stuff um yeah so i mean i've i've tried but i always feel it the next day pretty pretty gnarly if i uh go for the shout the scream yeah. shout thing. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors going back and listening to your stuff man it, it just and seeing the, the clips man it really does make me want to see you live if i didn't know it was just you up there it would i would believe it was an entire band so now that I you know, know that it's just you up there, it makes me want to see it even more. So hopefully we'll get some stuff opened up and I can go up north, see some family. And Hell, you're... I'll come down to you, man. Awesome. Jesus, I've been, I've been dying to get on the... Where are you in Virginia? <laughs> I am about 75 miles due west of D.C., so I'm in Winchester. Okay. So, um, so from New Hope, it's probably like three and a half, four hours. Yeah, okay. That's not yeah, terrible. I have a cousin that lives outside of DC there and uh what's oh, cool. that name? What's that name of that damn city? I forget. <laughs> Baltimore. Starts with an A. Uh Alexandria, Arlington. Arlington there. Arlington, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Oh, Arlington's a nice spot, man. I got yeah. two friends out there. I can't I don't have a government job, so I can't afford it. Yeah, he does. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I crashed with him when I played there you, in the DC. <laughs> there you go. Well, I man, there's some cool places to play in DC. I really hope some of them can open back up. Yeah, I hope so too. Oh, I miss going to Black Cat 9:30. There's some yeah. awesome places, man. Yeah, have you ever been to the Electric Maid? No. That place was fucking cool. I've <laughs> a really small little DIY venue. Oh, that's okay. It's so kind of like um, DC Nine, maybe. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit like that. Okay. Um, uh, I, I hope that they're still doing all right through all this. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was definitely like kind of a community space as well, but yeah, they would put on these shows and, um, you never knew I didn't, as a touring, I didn't know what to expect. Like I got paired up with just like, it was a totally eclectic night and that could either go one of two ways. It could be horrible yeah, or it could be amazing. And right. this was the amazing version because all the acts were really good at what they did oh that's good that's good but it was so cool see um, i've uh yeah i'm missing that yeah I've, I've only in the past couple of years been able to go back to seeing some shows my kids are well let's see when i i used to go to shows when i lived in jersey i, I lived in central jersey's like so i was like an hour out of new york and a little over an hour to philly so yeah so i i could just 
go wherever to see whoever I wanted to. As long as I had the money to get in and get out, I was good. Right. And then I moved to Alabama and I, it was rural Alabama and there was nobody coming. I mean, the closest shows were like three hours away. So, yeah. And then, um, did so you ever go to the Nick down there? No. In Birmingham? Oh, no, no. Um, I'm familiar with the name, but when I moved there, I see I was about three hours south of, of Birmingham. I was about three hours south of like everything. I was an hour, I was 90 miles, almost, almost exactly, I think it was like 88 miles, directly north of Panama City Beach. So, okay. So I was right on the edge of, of Alabama and Florida. And Birmingham was about three hours northeast. Tuscaloosa was like three northwest. And then Atlanta was like three and a half to four, even farther northeast. I so, and my brother went to the University of Alabama, so I'd be in Tuscaloosa all the time. And we just go to these little dive bars and see the local bands play. Um, and he swears we saw Oasis at the Tabernacle in Atlanta one year, but I don't remember it at all. I don't know if I was just that drunk or what, but yeah. I don't remember it at all. Oh God. But after that I got married and we had started having kids. Uh, so from like 2003 to just a couple of years ago, I didn't get the chance to see too many shows. So I'm not, right. I'm not super familiar with a whole lot of the places in DC anymore. Um, I'm just starting to get back into it now. And then the pandemic hits and then, uh, right. But, but I am bringing my camera cause I used to be a photographer. So when you come oh, down cool. to play, I'll bring my camera and then we'll get some shots. I'll, I'll send you some later. Cool. Some, just to show you, I'm not full of shit. I actually know what the hell I'm doing. That's one thing <laughs> well, in my have, life. I know what I'm you doing. You have this podcast, so I know you're not full of shit. <laughs> All podcasters are full of shit. <laughs> that's how we, that's why we do this. The new album that's coming out, is your fifth studio album? Sorry, yes. Right? Okay. Uh, it's the fifth fifth record. One of them's a live okay. record, I believe. But so fourth studio record. Okay. Yeah. When you go into the studio, how are you setting up? It's are, are you? I mean, you're not doing the one man show in the in, in the studio and recording it. Are you just, you're recording one bit at a time, or are you trying to keep it as live as possible? I've done I've done multiple iterations of of that kind of stuff, okay. um, but with this record in particular, I don't think I really did too much as far as like the one man band rig goes. As far as the setup, I, I definitely pieced it together, kind of one track at a time. Okay. On an older record, I just set up my stuff, went in there, played the songs, and then did a couple overdubs, and it was done. Okay. And that was called And the Light Came Blaring In. And um, I'm, I was really happy with that. But then at the same time, I felt like I didn't really have any producer chops back then. So I, I don't know that those songs, I think, I think the songs are really strong, but I'm not sure that they got to see the light of day as much as they could have had they had a little more production value behind them. But it'll only bring you down. Until the light came blaring in Oh, the light came blaring in Oh, the light Oh, the light came blaring in oh, So with 
record, I I wanted to get the most out of every song, and so I kind of try to produce like come at it with with both this, as a songwriter and performer, but also with kind of that production hat on at the same time. So how did all right? So an album like Evil Fuzz Magic, were you uh, producing that whole thing? Because that is I, I, that's a really cool group of songs. I mean. You, you yes, really, it's a five-song EP, right? It, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, Triage Recruit is incredible. <laughs> no one ever no one ever comes up to me and goes yo triage recruit man you gotta play that oh dude like, i love that if you if if i can catch you live you have to play that because it's i mean it's freaking awesome jam and you made me sad with herbie and sam so yeah it's, it's a short and that's sweet. a 38 second song and <laughs> i was doing fine for like the first 35 seconds and not to spoil it for everybody, but Herbie and Sam die. <laughs> so I guess I am spoiling it for you guys. Right. But I mean, it's just songs pretty short, so <laughs> it's not much of a letdown. But I was, man, I was, I was rooting for Herbie and Sam. I thought that was really sweet. And then, you know, yeah. tragedy. Yeah. So, so Evil Fuzz Magic came together really organically because uh, I was jamming with um, Jonathan and Ian Luberecki, who are brothers okay and uh long time musical friends soulmates i might say okay uh, we just we all love the same stuff and we are inspired by each other and different creative uh juices and whatnot right so um at the time ian who's actually more of a guitar player was filling in on drums and john was playing bass he's a bass player and uh we just did all that mostly in a live kind of setting so everything was done like, you know, we got together, I would get all the mics set up and we would just kind of hit record and do takes of songs or a triage recruit was more of a, of a, of a jam, which with some structure, but at the end, as you kind of hear it kind of dissolves yeah. because it's, it's a jam. Yeah. So awesome. we had parts that worked out that we knew we wanted to get where we wanted to get to, but I don't think we ever actually finished it and said like, okay, well this is how it ends. <laughs> so it just kind of fizzles out altogether. <laughs> That's... But yeah, I, I love the places that that one goes. Like it goes pretty far out there. And, and I really, I really dig that. We also do it live on, uh, I saw you just tearing the crap out of neck hurts uh, on one of the live videos that I was watching. Wow, man, that God, that song is incredible. Oh, thank you. Especially uh, like that's, that's one of like those like older tunes that has been in the like catalog for so long. I've been trying to like, I, I'll like revamp. I've kept revamping the ending a little bit more. And so I was just kind of okay. put this huge metal loop at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the show closer in a, in yes. a sense. I know? think, I think that was, it was the last track on that huge, uh, three hour YouTube show. And, uh, I think that was the, the closer for the first set and it okay. was just awesome. Oh, nice. I gotta check this out. I gotta, I gotta I, see what this is. I promise I'll shoot you a link as soon as we're done. 
right, I'm not cool. gonna I'm not gonna push this to finish so I can send it to you though. I'm gonna tell you. The new album, Lifetime Ago Motel. All your music's well, a lot of your music sounds very autobiographical. Uh this one has some songs that are particularly sound uh, autobiographical sounding. Songs like uh You'll Always Be the Star and The Letter. Are they autobiographical or what how do you coming up with this stuff and and if it is how how are you seeing this stuff live without just breaking down because some of this stuff is incredible well uh this one came from kind of like a darker moments in my life where i was i was going through a divorce oh yeah and um a 10-year relationship that just kind of ended and um I, I honestly couldn't really write about anything else. I didn't have anything else in me other than this kind of, you know, I mean, it was just really hard and, and sad. And then there's, I think the record as a whole kind of showcases different emotions or feelings that you'll go through with this kind of thing. Yeah. Whether it be like a romantic relationship or even a friendship or, or something just as, as it has run its course. So yeah, for me, I mean, I would love to be the kind of songwriter that can just come up with this amazing story and not be attached to it and be able to deliver it. And, uh, with like conviction and, and make people believe in everything. But for me, it's always been kind of a personal thing. And, um, it definitely comes through in the songwriting. Oh yeah, you you go through a, a lot. It's, it's not just one type of song. I mean, for for going through such a traumatic event, I mean, there's there's everything in there. There there's there's the happy, there's the sad, there's the angry, there's the f you, there's you know, move along, you know, uh, ends meet is is great. I love that song. The letter, it, it's incredibly emotional. I mean, uh, but one of my favorites is Broken Misery. Oh, cool. That's, that's great, because we just cut a video for that, and that's the, that's the single, actually. Oh, so I'm glad you said that. That's got to be the single, because that song is incredible. Yeah, that is a great track. Yeah, I'm happy with how heavy it came out because that was definitely the goal, you know. Um, So with that one, uh, that's that's coming out on March 5th. We just shot a video for it, so they're like right in the editing stages right now. So it's coming. It's pretty coming around pretty soon. So yeah, that's going to come out March 5th, and the full album will be out on April 2nd. But um, yeah, with that one, it, it is basically a loop. It's like, and, and that's one that I would say is kind of, it's formulated in the studio almost exactly as it is performed live with just a couple extra layers. I was able to get really fat sounding drums behind it. Yeah. And a little bit of a thicker bass part and stuff like that. Stuff that I miss out when I play it live and I only have the guitar with me. Yeah. Um, so 
that that was kind of the goal with that one was just to like build it out and make it as huge as I could. Well, it, it's successful because you're doing this incredible uh, like tapping and it's it's a huge heavy riff. I mean, it's I can feel a tool influence on that. It's, it's yeah, super super tool influence. It came from basically Anima, the song. Yep. Or Anima, well, however the hell they pronounce know. it. I, I don't know. I think they just do it to confuse people so I, that people say fucked up things. I have wondered about that since that album came out. So yeah, that was inspired by that tune. It's almost the same notes really, but it's it just kind of taken in a different direction. That uh, waiting for the kill, another great track and then going through this and then seeing how you do covers i saw little lies and i'm like is that fleetwood mac but oh, no right. it's an original so right right i actually I, I love it though that i love that hope that becomes a, a, a single too because that song is fantastic that one too because that's one that i showed to a lot of people and i haven't gotten that response yet really i've had people say that they, they like it but i haven't had somebody say like little lies you gotta do something with that and <laughs> i love it because i think for me it was as like as creativity goes in the studio setting and like producing a, a song and, and like layering the vocals and stuff it felt like i really like got it together yeah with that one and um I, I would love to do something with that, like maybe a music video or or something. Oh, that would, yeah, I, that to me it, it screams single to me. But you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm a podcast host and I with a day job, so I, that's not my. Unfortunately, hey, your opinion my matters, man. <laughs> Every opinion matters. <laughs> well, you now you got a, a. I'm assuming a friend of yours to play on this with uh, Sim Kane and. That's some great drumming, man. It's it's what I like is that it's not over the top insane drumming. Looking, you know, who he's played with, you know, Rollins and, and the Dean Ween group, and yeah, you know, he he's playing just what's needed. So it it's a great addition to the sound. Yeah, Sim played on uh, "Waiting for the Kill" and "Lifetime Ago." Okay, and he is just so f fucking good. Um, I, when when we were on tour together, I remember just like being there for the sound check. And what I said to him was, Sim, I, I like hearing you just tune the fucking drums <laughs> <laughs> because he, he just has a, you know, he behind the kid. It's just, it's, he's just phenomenal. So I was really, really honored when I asked him if he would come in and, you know, come to the studio and play. And, and he said, yes. So That's that was a big, big moment for me to be able to jam with him like one-on-one -on -one in the studio and, and get get some of those 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 tracks down. Some of the songs are complex with some strings in them. When when you're writing specifically "Lifetime Ago Motel," are you concerned or thinking about playing them live as you're writing and, and building them in the studio, or or are are you just I'll figure that out later? 
So I do a lot of um, sampling beforehand, and I think sometimes for like really close fans, it could be a little bit of a letdown because I'll, I'll be working on my stuff live. Yeah, a lot. You know, like I'll I'll work it out in front of an audience for sometimes it takes a year for a song to you know grow legs and stand up and and be on its own. You right. Know? Yeah. With the, with the next record, I really want to do something where I don't even play one stitch of a material live for an audience, you know, and just like do completely from the studio and go. But a lot of this record was played out a lot like live. Um, okay. Move Along was played. Broken Misery. Um, you Always Be That Star was played out live. Moonchild. A lot of tunes were definitely sampled. And I, I kind of want that that feeling of like energy exchange between me and the audience to see if the song is, is working. Yeah. Well, that makes and sense. That helps, that helps me go into the studio and be a little more motivated to get it done. Okay. Okay. How did you come up with the name lifetime ago motel? So it just kind of stemmed from the, the title track, although it's a slightly different the title. Well, the name of the song is lifetime ago. And then, um, that was, those were the last lyrics that I actually wrote for the record. I was like struggling to finish this record. This was like, it was a big undertaking. And that was kind of like the last line that came to me for that particular song. And then I was talking to a friend and he's like, you know, what's cool, man. Like lifetime ago motel, like, you know, you just, it's a place you just went to for a little while and you left. And, um, wow. we just kept, ba- we just kept bouncing the idea back and forth. He's like, but you can't call it lifetime ago motel. It's like, just call the song lifetime ago motel and then call the record lifetime ago. I'm like, no, man, I think you got it. Like lifetime ago motel yes. <laughs> is the name of the record. I think we did it. And he's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so we, went, we were like texting back and forth for two days and I'm like, yeah, we named it lifetime ago motel. <laughs> you know, so it, it was cool how it kind of finally came together. I'm real happy with everything now. Well, I think the album is great just because it's not a bunch of the same songs. It's, and that's, that's the, the pitfall that I think some people get into, especially if it's, if they're known for, you know, being a one man band or, or a, a solo act, especially, you know, like, uh, the percussive styles, you, 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 they can tend to sound the same to me, uh, you know, you kind of uh, overdo it. You keep using the same trick on every song or exactly, whatever. Exactly. It's just like, you know, how many times can you hear Eddie Van Halen tap and it starts to kind of sound the same at some point, but you don't fall into that. And it's especially with this album because you're doing so many different you've got so many different feelings and emotions in this, in this, there's happy songs, there's sad songs, there, there's funny songs, you know, there's a lot of humor and you're, to me, it sounds like, you know, you're more concerned about song craft than showing your chops. And I, as, as a listener, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you um, saying that because that, that is kind of like, I, I, at the end of the day, the song is really what matters. I mean, that's what, is the most memorable. Yeah. I think it's, it's tricky to, you know, you, when you work on your chops and you, you're coming up and you, you want to show off that you're able to do this technical stuff, but eventually you kind of feel like you're getting in your own way with it. And you get, you kind of go back to the basics and what's important. And, um, for me, that always comes back to the song and 
and trying to do what's right for the song, serve the song. Yeah. One of the coolest tracks on there to me is, is one of the surprise tracks was Burr's Roach Jam. Oh, yeah. Just because that thing's <laughs> so groovy, man. I love it. fun man that was that was the most fun i had yeah you know putting it together because that was just really loose one take for like pretty much every instrument oh just cool. like lay it down real fast like just do the guitar i right, got the rhythm go to the drum kit lay it down go to the bass do the bass like do the vocals as like kind of crazy as i can with a little bit of like that aaron freeman ween and influence yes. kind of going on and it was just like it just all kind of came together and then it just sat there for a while because you know i had all these other tracks culminating and i was <laughs> crafting right. them and yeah. i would always just go back and kick on burr's roach channel like yep <laughs> <still good." laughs> oh man this it's awesome and i definitely am recommending it to everybody that i can that i can get it out to i'm as soon oh, as it so comes out i'm gonna i'll you know tweet about it. I'll, I'll help you out as much as i can get the word out it's just really cool. How can people maybe pre-order it or uh, order it depending on when this comes out? I'm not exactly, I don't have the date exactly yeah. yet. So how can people find the album, buy it and uh, help support you? So Lifetime Ago Motel will be out on April 2nd and it'll be on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, but the best way, like if, if you really want to support is just go to keithkenny.com and you could buy vinyl, uh, you could buy CDs there. You can, you could just donate if you want, if you're just listening and you like it and you don't, you don't have a collection, you're not interested in, in the artifact, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's the main thing is just, um, I'm excited to get it out. You know, oh, I'm yeah. really just pumped to have it out in the world. I've got a question for you and I don't know if this is going to make the podcast or not because I originally, we were going to do this in August and right. everything got pushed back. So I was just curious as to, was it because of the pandemic or, or was there, did something get delayed? What was, there were so many factors, man. Um, yeah. There was definitely the pandemic was a, was a part of it. Um, the unknown for me, there was like an unknown financial restriction with like, I didn't really know if I was going to be able to make physical product because uh, yeah. I, I was afraid to, to reach out to my little fan base and see if they, if they wanted to do a crowdfunding thing, it just seemed like a wrong time to ask, you know? Uh, yeah, I can understand that with all the shit going on. It was just kind of seemed messy, you know? So, yeah. but by the time November rolled around and, and we had already pushed the release date back because I wanted to get a couple of things together like the music video and um, some promotional stuff. So okay. by that time I said, you know what, if, if people want to hear it and I don't, I don't think it's crazy that if they, you know, throw in 50 bucks, they get a limited edition vinyl and, you know, CD or whatever that yeah. that'll be, they'll, they'll enjoy that, you know? Yeah. So so luckily we were able to, to raise the money and I can't like thank that core group of fans enough for like making the, 
reality of having physical product for this like actually happened so that's awesome because it's I, huge i remember i got i got all the information and i started listening and writing my notes and then it got postponed and i was like all right so that's kind of bummed because i like the album and i wanted to learn more about it yeah sorry we got a pushback <laughs> like not even like four months i think it's been like six months yeah. or whatever but then but then you know you guys reached out to me and they're like hey do you want to have keith on and i'm like sure of course so i went to go back and try to find my notes that i'd already written and i couldn't find oh, no. any i had oh, apparently man. accidentally deleted them so like oh ah. no so now i gotta come up with everything all over again so yeah scrambling and like all right i'm just gonna sit down and i'm gonna re-listen to the album and i'm gonna go back and listen to all the other stuff and it'll just whatever i wanted to ask it'll come back to me and and i honestly i i really think it was for the best because i remember listening to the album and liking it but going back now i know that i like it now a lot more than i did five six months ago right so right. i think unfortunately it worked out for the best for me because i don't even want to say it grew on me it's, i don't know it, it just it makes more sense to me now for some reason yeah, I could see this album kind of being that way too. Um, yeah. Which I, I don't take any offense to that because some of my favorite music has always been the one that I'll sleep on for the first few listens. Yeah. And then I come back to it, and I'm like, this is my favorite album ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just takes that time for for it to all settle in and for you to kind of get what's going on or whatever. So I actually kind of almost take that as a compliment in a way. Oh, I'm glad because. I'm trying to remember which song. Ends me. That's the one. It was. It didn't hit me the first time I listened to it, and then listening to it uh, the past couple of days, I'm like, no, I, I think I get it now. I, 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 <laughs> cool. I, this, this is cool. I, I like it now. Well, here come the holidays, where the days get shorter, but the work still stays the same. Well, ain't it a shame? Wish I could make this ends me taste sweeter. Wish I could make this ends me taste sweeter. Hey, you see that girl at the end of the bar? I'd like to meet her. I like it a lot more now. So nice. Is there a, a social media presence where people can follow you and keep uh, keep an eye out on hopefully some upcoming touring dates and all? Yeah, yeah, we're actually doing a, like an uh, album release show at John and Peter's on April third. So we're going to be streaming that show on Facebook. So it's um, Facebook.com/slash Keith Kenny Music. Okay. And then um, I'm on Instagram as well. And most of my handles on uh, Instagram, Twitter is Keith Kenny Music. Okay. Excellent. And then YouTube is uh, Keith Kenny, just YouTube slash Keith Kenny. And, um, and the KeithKenny.com is the, is the website that's got all the, uh, the links and whatnot. And all the information on how to order the new album and all your other albums. Yes, they're all up there. Which I highly recommend because it's so good, man. I'm so glad I found out about you because I'm really... Getting into, I mean, I'm, I seriously can't say enough about Neck Hurts and Triage Recruit and Broken Misery. Well, I mean, thank you for digging in, man. Like you, 
I mean, this is great. Like, it's just, just the fact that you, you went back into the catalog and, and it feels really good. Thank you, Mark. Oh, of course. You get OCD about some of your gear. I get OCD about artists that I like. I go back and I listen to everything. God, I'm a completist. Like, uh, if, I, if I like a band, I get every release, even if it sucks. I right. get every release. And then I, I go I've back, done that too. Yeah. And then I go and I get all the little side projects and the guest appearances and wow. all that stuff. Like, oh my God, dude. It started, well, it started with Zeppelin. And then, because uh-huh. my college years was like 91. I, I went to college, so Pearl Jam was just coming out. And that's what Led Zeppelin and Pearl Jam was really what got me into doing that. Jimmy Page, Mike McCready, yeah. and, and, and so I just, like, anything they're involved in, I'm like, I got to get it. I got to get it. Man, I mean, you, you're going deep with Jimmy Page because he was a studio cat for so long and the yeah. Yardbirds and... Oh, dude, I've got... I, so I don't know how crap. deep did you go. I mean... Oh, God, I got... It, you know, getting back then, the vinyl, all that vinyl stuff was, was a little too rich for my blood, so I would get the compilations, like yeah. Jimmy's Back Pages, um, and they had one called Session Man, Volume 1 and 2. Got that. Uh, I have the little the the uh, two CD little game sessions where it has all the demos. Awesome. Um, I would get boots of Jimmy. Uh, I, obviously, a whole bunch of Zep fans would go and get the live stuff, but I would also get get the studio boots, like the the uh, demos, um, outtakes, like track. You know, the ones that have like no quarter, take four. You know, nice. keys down. I've got I've got this one that's got this like really weird jazzy version of No Quarter, and it's just cool. It's incredible, but yeah, I mean, Pearl Jam was, was huge for me until, until Vitology. Everybody loves Vitology. That's where they the, I they lost me. I just okay. I can't get it. I'm not a big punk fan, and to me, at the time, and, and I probably need to go back and re-listen to the album, but at the time, it sounded like they just wanted to be a punk band, and they weren't doing it very well. So, I got you. But yeah, Pearl Jam never, um, I just never dove into their stuff for some reason. It yeah. was, they were like one of the bands that just missed for me. And I don't, I don't know why. Cause I, I know they must have like just an incredible catalog. They, they, I love their first two albums. Um, I hated Vitology and it's a couple of the songs have grown on me a little bit, but still don't particularly care for it. Uh, no code was, they started to draw me back yield. I liked a lot. And then, binaural came out and i just I'm like duh i'm done that's a terrible <laughs> yeah. a terrible album and then <laughs> i honestly haven't bought a pearl jam album since so i don't right. i don't know too much of their stuff but like a lot of their side projects like mad season was incredible yeah if you like sabbath sound sabbath style riffs and all pick up mad season because it's Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, Lane Staley's on vocals, Barrett Martin was playing drums from the Screaming Trees, and um, this guy, uh, John Baker, John Baker Saunders, something, something like that. I don't remember what band he was from, but he's on bass, and uh, half the band is dead now, so. Cool. And Mark, Mark I mean, Lanigan. Well, not cool that they're dead. <laughs> just, just that that exists. Mark Lanigan plays on a couple tracks, too, so, you know, right. it's, I, I got into all the side projects. Um, Anytime they they would release a, an, a track on like one of those one of the big things in the '90s was the uh, tribute albums where like tribute to Jimi Hendrix has this one-off band. It's basically like Temple of the Dog minus Eddie and, and Stone Gossard. It's Mike McCready, Jeff Ament, Chris Cornell, and Matt Cameron doing "Hey Baby" from Jimi Hendrix. 
Wow. It's incredible. So I, so that's a long way of saying that if I like the band, I like the artist, I get obsessed by it and I go back and I try to listen to everything. And that's what I did with your stuff. And I will continue to do that. And hopefully I'll get a chance to see you play at some point soon. Hell yeah. I would love that. I would love to come down to Virginia. Oh yeah. Play and get on the road again. It'd be amazing. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many places to play in, in DC and just outside DC. A lot of uh, bars. We've got some, a lot of breweries, some really cool places to play where you don't have to worry about drawing in tons and tons of people. Right. And you can just come in and, and just play and they'll be thrilled with it. Right. Well, and look, I have taken up a bunch of your time. Thank you so much for spending all this time with me and, and talking about the album. It's been a blast. Yeah, man, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. A lifetime ago I was hoping you'd change It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.